Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela, joined, as almost always, by Como's Matt Markovich. And the big story that we're talking about today, the defunding of Seattle Police. The City of Seattle City Council voted to overturn, to override the mayor's veto of these deep budget cuts. And, uh, well, first off, Matt, how much in cuts are we talking Actually, very small to what the council proposed. It's basically $3 million in police cuts for the remaining budget for the 2020 year for the police department. The entire budget for the police department the entire year is $409 million. So it's an it's infinitesimal amount of money, but I think it's more significant than uh, anything else. Because we were talking about initially a 50% cut. That's what activists were wanting. And then wasn't it 14% at, at, at some it's, point, too? It, it, well, if you include the mayor's proposed cuts, which the the council accepted, which is about twenty million. Um, we're talking about a fourteen percent reduction in the twenty twenty budget for the remainder of this year. So that's where that fourteen percent comes from uh, overall of uh, of this year's budget. There wasn't that much left uh, when you think about it. So we well, only have three months left in the yeah, year. Yeah. So that you know, so it's a fourteen percent cut of the remaining budget for the year is what it comes down to, but not a fifty percent cut that protesters want of an entire yearly budget. And so 14 percent, you know, we've heard the number that that could lead to layoffs of up to 100 officers, uh, a total of, what is it, $23 million reduction uh, in, with this mm-hmm. bill that was passed by the Seattle City Council. So the big question is, what's next? Well, it's actually going to come up next week and Tuesday when the mayor announces her 2021 budget. That's where the real fight's going to begin. This is just basically a kind of a pre, pre-fight joust between the two sides, between the mayor and the city council, because any of these cuts that are going to be affecting SBD really won't take place until the end of the year. Uh, the defunding of the uh, navigation team, which was part of the uh, cuts, um, will it be really defunded throughout the year? Well, it's really up to Chief Diaz to put officers on detail to go to the homeless camps. Uh, the HSD can still have some of its outreach workers still working. So, um, you know, I think it's not going to be a, all of a sudden cold turkey, no more navigation team with the, uh, with the cleanups of the, uh, the homeless camps. Uh, but that's an example of what this whole thing represents. It's even though they overrode the veto, not all these cuts and changes are drastic enough, uh, at least at the SBD level, to make anybody happy on the people who wanted to defund SBD by 50%. Again, the, the real fight's going to be starting next week when we really see what the mayor has in, plan, in store for 2021 for the police department. But already the, the mayor and the city council are at odds over this issue. They've been fighting over this for quite some time now. I, I can't imagine that they're going to be anywhere close, at least in that initial offering of the two budgets. Well, we don't know. You know, um, Mayor Durkin has pledged that she wants to reimagine the police department. That's what the city council wants to see. They want to see funding that was going to that $409 million this year to go to community groups, community crisis responders, a different way of policing, the civilian 911 uh, center. Yeah, I I get the civilian 911 center, but the thing that that kind of always befuddles me, we want to cut the police budget and spend that money on community-based programs. But community-based programs are never truly explained. What does that mean? Does the city council even have an idea of what these programs are going to be that's taking money away from the police department? That's a great question. I mean, they've talked about what's called participatory budgeting, which is where communities decide where the money goes. 
and uh, the mayor has the council wants to have the mayor pledge a hundred million dollars to do that. She's not going to do a hundred million dollars, I believe, in participatory budgeting. So these community groups that the council wants to see uh, provide some support for uh, a lot of the efforts that Black Lives Matter and Decriminalize Seattle have talked about in terms of reform for a police department. Uh, we don't know how those things would look. The real roadmap to establish that is always set by the mayor in their budget, in her budget, in her budget address. At least with the budget, we're going to see that roadmap uh, next week, and whether the council wants to have any detours, that would be their next step. We've already seen divisions on the city council. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's the accusation that the city council is just this ultra-left group that thinks as one monolith, but you had Alex Peterson and Deborah Juarez voting against the the veto of, of the bill here. Do we expect- as they As they voted against the rebalancing package that they submitted to the mayor. And and do we expect uh, them to make noise here coming up in this next 2021 budget fight? But I mean even if they do, they're they're vastly outnumbered. I I, I think they will, but they're going to ask for a roadmap to. I mean, that's been there at least especially with the council member Deborah Juarez, who if you go back to the election was supported by both sides in this uh, in a bid for her seat. She had endorsements from both sides, so to speak, to for her place. But she wants to see a roadmap the mayor will start out with that roadmap as to how we can reimagining policing, but then she also wants to see what the council is going to provide as a roadmap, as as maybe an alternative to how the council see sees a reimagining of policing and how uh, police response and how community groups can participate in a crisis response situation rather than police officers responding to something that's a non-violent or a non-criminal call. And it, it seems like that may be a fair criticism on Deborah Juarez's part because, as I alluded to before, the city council is pushing these cuts but not fully explaining where the money is going to go in these community-based programs, community-based groups and things like mm-hmm. that. Do they have really a plan? Are they looking to other cities to, to that have defunded police or that have had success with other types of programs as, as a model, or are they just starting from scratch? Well, the one only thing that I've heard in the last two months coming from the council about a plan or a project from another city is the Coots program in Eugene, Oregon, which is a basically a crisis response group coming out of... Uh, kind of a medical clinic atmosphere that responds to nonviolent, non-criminal calls for someone in crisis help. So right now in the Seattle Police Department, a lot of the calls that we see are a majority of non-violent calls has to do with something along these lines. So do you need to send a uniform officer out there or somebody who's possibly trained? Well, Cahoots in Oregon is doing that. That is the one model I've heard repeated over and over again as uh, by Councilmember Lewis, who's proposed the idea that the Seattle should follow. But I haven't heard any big projects from other cities that they want to emulate. So who do they send out, if not a police officer, in that program in Eugene? Well, they send out a, a trained crisis responder, social workers. You know, it really happens at that what we call the 911 call center, the civilian lead run that the, the dispatcher city, decides yeah, who gets Yeah, it's kind of a triage situation. After, after answering several questions, the dispatcher decides, well, should we send a police officer out or send uh, uh, someone from Cahoots out or both? And many times 
the officer has gone out, and this is what I've been reading in, or- in Eugene, officers go out and realize it's not a situation that they need to handle. It's somebody that cahoots, so they'll call cahoots and then have them come out and deal with this person that's in, in crisis, and they can go off and do other things. Well, granted, Eugene is a much smaller city than the city of Seattle. They don't have nearly the problems that we have, and one of the biggest problems here in Seattle is homelessness, and you mentioned that these cuts that the city council has have has approved include eliminating the navigation team. So what's being done about these homeless encampments, these, I'll, I'll say, illegal, unsanctioned homeless encampments that are popping up throughout the city? Well, I just did a story about that uh, just recently, um, referring to why we're seeing those encampments, is that strictly goes down to what the city is hanging its hat on in terms of allowing the campments to stay, and that's the CDC guidelines to allow homeless camps to remain if there's no alternative to uh, sheltered housing. And since the city under COVID has very little shelter space available, um, they're opting to allow people to stay in their tents. And they're opting to allow people to stay in tents that are in city parks, in areas that uh, before COVID, the city police, the navigation team wouldn't even allow to have a tent there. Now there's tents on sidewalks. And if even if you have a little spot to walk by the sidewalk, this, the tents are uh, being allowed to stay. They're not considered obstructions, whereas six, seven months ago, they would have been cleared out because of new rules. So COVID is affecting the homeless population in that way. It's affecting it. Uh, the CDC's ruling is affecting the city policy. Um, and now that the navigation team has publicly said since March, they're really not going after um, uh, cleaning out t- encampments. An amazing fact is we looked this up and worked with the city on this. In the time that COVID has hit Seattle, from April to now, September, uh, there's only been seven camp removals. In the same period last year, there was 451. Wow. So you see the effects right then and there about the policy of allowing camps to stay and essentially flourish, and there's no threat for them right now. And the residents we spoke with know um, there's no f- threat that the camps will be cleared by Seattle police or the navigation team right th- at this moment. Well, and now that you have the navigation team effectively dissolved by this budget decision, how does the city handle those illegal homeless encampments? Is there a plan for that? They have outreach workers uh, from an agency called REACH, uh, which is a contracting organization run through the Evergreen Medical Clinics. Uh, I, mean, I think that's what it's the proper name for them. Um, but they have about um, 15 uh, social workers, 11 contracted by the city, four contracted by the local business improvement areas to go out in the neighborhoods and try and get people off the street, get the services they need and into shelter. And then you have what was the navigation team navigators, the social workers hired by the city that are city employees are different from reach. Um, but what the, the funding portion of the bill kind of really represents is that they, the council cut those workers um, those contract workers or those city employees that go out and try and get people out, they're, they're targeting the uniformed police officers, but the uniformed police officers are basically part of patrol for SBD, and it's up to the chief to decide where he wants to put his officers. So he could still send officers out into the homeless camps and have them cleared. There's nothing to stop them because that because the council defunded the navigation team. The chief has every right to go ahead and do that. Um, so... 
But what they did cut was the funding for the outreach workers hired by the city to get people out of the tents and into shelters. So how much, and this goes back to that budgeting process, when when the city passes a budget, how much is that detailed? How much of the allocations are detailed when it comes to the police budget? It's just a, a, a lump sum that the chief then gets to decide how he's spending that money, or are there specific provisions, provisos in that budget that say you must use this money on X program? The council can have what's known as a proviso, which is a suggestion on how the money should be spent, but there's no obligation by the city department head to follow the council's guidance and uh, say that uh, we want this spent on Y, but the chief spends it on Z. Um, The chief can still do that. Uh, The council in a proviso situation is basically making a recommendation. The council can approve budgets of departments with the intent to do X, Y, and Z, but it's really up to that department head to execute what the council wants. Now, the council can haul that department head back in front of them and say, how come you didn't do X, Y, and Z? And and chastise them and maybe change some, put up some other provisos on them to try and control the department head, but still up to the department head and therefore the mayor as the chief executive of the city to dictate how that money will be spent. This council basically allocates the money, writes the check to, to spend it. I, I write you a check uh, for $100 cash, and and you can go out and, and and I want you to go buy me lunch and dinner, and you go out and buy a, a, a round of golf, yeah. you know? And I find out I can get mad at you, but I can't stop you from buying that round of golf with that money I gave you. And then moving on to another but related subject, Shama Sawant facing a recall election. You've been digging into the history of this and uh, how the fact that taxpayers are now going to have to foot the bill for her defense. Yeah. And she has every right to ask for that according to state law. There's a state law uh, written a couple of days, decades ago, but only taken advantage twice since it was written. Uh, from my reporting, uh, where an elected official can ask the city attorney to represent them in an effort where it can be deemed political, where they're being at, it's a recall effort. And the provision by the state, the RCW particularly focuses just on recalls. So if someone is being recalled and the petition is trying to get out there or there's a legal case involving that, the elected official can go to any elected body, not just the city council, if this happens to be dealing with the city of Seattle, a council member can go to the council and ask for the city attorney to represent them in the case going forward. What they have to do is ask the city attorney first if they would do that, and council member Sawant did that with city attorney Pete Holmes. He said okay. And then she went to the council and asked permission for them to write the check. And the check actually comes from a $28 million judgment fund that the council has. It's a kind of a five-year ongoing, they take the average of how many judgments has been, uh, legal judgments against the city has been out there. And so right now it's currently at $28 million. So this, if someone sues the city for XYZ uh, because there was no sidewalk and they got hurt and the judgment, the court finds it's $5 million, they're paid out of this judgment fund. Well, this judgment fund is actually going to pay for council member Sawant's outside council, which was approved by city attorney P. Holmes, outside council to uh, represent her in all these legal fights as she fights this recall effort. So that's what happened. uh, Right now, there's two other things. I talked with uh, Wayne Barnett, the executive director of the Seattle Ethics Commission. And he's found it interesting that we actually have two recall efforts now. In his 16-year history, there hasn't been two recall at the same time because we have many, Mayor Jenny Durkin, 
who is fighting a recall effort. And her case is gone all the way to state Supreme Court. But she has not asked the city attorney or the city council to pay her legal bills. She's hired her own private counsel uh, to fight her case. Well, she's an attorney herself anyway. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and she's arguing, her argument in the case is that she is being recalled for an elected decision, for a, a political decision that she made, and you can't recall somebody on the grounds of a decision they made while being in office. Now, in Council Member Sawant's uh, case, she's being accused of opening up City Hall when it was dark uh, and locked to hold a rally inside and leading a crowd of people to Mayor Jenny Durkin's house, which her address is uh, protected by confidentiality laws in the state of Washington. And she's a former U.S. attorney. That's why Councilmember Sawant's being recalled, whereas Mayor Jenny Durkin says, I, ha- I haven't done, broken anything, I haven't done anything wrong. You're just trying to recall me because of a decision I made. And you know, she's arguing that the state Supreme Court. The irony about all this is that uh, Councilmember Swan's taking the money uh, for a city attorney. Uh, Mayor Durkin is not. The only other person that this has happened to was uh, Councilmember Richard Conlin, who in 2011 was facing a recall effort and went to the city council, got the city council to pay for that recall effort, which dissolved anyway. But he was replaced by Shama Swan. Wow, that District 3 is a a strange one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt Markovich, thank you so much. We'll have to stay tuned because a lot's happening here in the city of Seattle. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogel. Be sure to check out some of our other podcasts, including Lifebeat with Marina Rockinger, our hourly news updates, and much more. Just go to comonews.com slash podcasts. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.